Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Today on this snowy Sunday, uh, we just got a bit of a blizzard here in Massachusetts. Uh, I'm flying with just one wingman today. It is our old friend, long lost, Fraser Brown. Hello! Oh, I get to be Iceman. That's exciting. Well, I don't... I suppose. I, I consider myself more of an Iceman figure. I mean, I think you're more of a goose, really. It, like, <laughs> nothing against you, but we, we both know which of us is going to just get killed ejecting from a Tomcat. I'm not very good at singing, though. Well, neither was, neither were any of them. That was the whole point. <laughs> that was the point of that scene. I feel uh, like Goose had the most skill, though. That's that's true. I mean, the the problem is that not, like none of what you see in Top Gun would really like these were not cool dudes. That's the amazing thing about that movie is it is this weird alternate reality where all that crap somehow works and <laughs> you look at it and they're just the worst like douchebags. It's unbelievable. But in the reality of that movie, they're just the coolest cats. Uh, <laughs> We've and- gone on on quite a bit of a tangent. <laughs> Quite we, early. we have, we have. Uh, it's amazing. We the, just one person to do intro with, and we managed to screw it up. Anyway, uh, today we are going to be talking about. Okay, pause for this title: Warhammer 40k Gladius Relics of War uh, by Proxy Studios. Which, funnily enough, this game reminded me a lot of another uh, hex-based 4x type game from uh, Slytherin ages ago. Pandora. It's from Proxy Studios who made Pandora. So there is kind of a uh, there is sort of a stylistic inheritance here. And it is hard to describe. Right away, Fraser, I have trouble pigeonholing what Relics of War is. Because yeah. I think it's probably a little too reductive to call it a 4X. Well, what do you think? I mean, like just the straight up genre it most comfortably fits in would be 4X, but it is a very weird 4X. I mean, first off, it's just cutting stuff out like diplomacy. Pff, diplomacy, shite, and it doesn't have any place in the 40k Grim Dark universe. Get rid of it. It's it's gone, which is pretty cool actually, um, and it's kind of a bit more tactical than sieve or something like that it's not that style of like builder expansion 4x it's like make your armies move across the map kill everything uh it's very aggressive very angry which seems appropriate for the setting uh if you're gonna make a 4x about a bunch of people who just hate each other and want to wipe each other off the face of the galaxy then 40k is pretty good yeah it's um you know as i play it more and more i find myself thinking of it as what it most reminds me of is a giant melee mode in an rts (laughs) but it's turn-based but it has a lot of the stuff you'll recognize from RTS. Like, the research tree is pretty straightforward and simplified. It's kind of a series of what upgrade do you want at any given moment, uh, depending on which tier you've unlocked. Um, in particular, the new DLC that just came out, uh, Tyranids, which you wrote a really good review of for PC Gamer. In particular, that entire arc of play with that faction feels like playing an RTS. Uh, it very much feels like 
in a bit of back pay to Blizzard, they went and stole a lot of StarCraft like build order ideas and yeah. made them a little more consistent with 40k Tyranid lore and created a really odd faction that plays differently from anyone else. But it all feels very much like there are certain things you need to do in order to uh, meet all your upkeep costs and obligations in a way that, again, feels much like uh, an RTS in terms of making sure you're always staying, like consuming your resources uh, as you gain them, but staying ahead of your upkeep costs. Uh, yeah, it's... You know, we talked a little bit about this, or I did, toward the end of last year, the start of this year, where we were talking about games that I just sort of didn't make time for last year. And this was this was one of them, because I, had a, I, I heard from a lot of people saying that it was a surprisingly good game. And my first reaction to it was, ah, it's just, it's just a 40K 4X. Uh, but I think you're right on the money with it feeling much more tactical. It is, there really is only war in this game. And it is brutal, slow, hard-fought war. Like, think of some of your toughest city sieges in Civilization. That's kind of what this game is, uh, in my view. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's a bit unfortunate about Gladius is that there is kind of one tactic that it, that really does work all the time. It's just build a big army and move it across the map in a sort yep. of, like, line. Um if you can sort of, if you've not figured that out, or if you're willing to not go for the simplest tactic, it's a really fun game. <laughs> you're basically sort of like hobbling yourself to really get the good stuff. But that's where all the terrain and special unit abilities and rules come into play, um, a lot of which are drawn from the actual tabletop game, which is fun. Um for instance, like even basic things like the way weapons work. So some weapons are rapid fire weapons, which means that if you're in essentially like melee range, it basically just one hex away from the enemy, um, you do like double damage. Um, but if you're more hexes, another like you've got like a hex gap, then you can still attack. You're still, it's a ranged attack. You're still able to do it, but you've got like half damage. So it's kind of an adaptation of tabletop rules, and you see like a lot of that. Um, and yeah, there are a lot of ways to play each faction as well. Like it's an asymmetrical game, each faction has their own little weird quirks and powers and strategies. Um, and yeah, there, there is a lot to it, but it is really undermined by the fact that the most efficient way to play is just across the map murdering everything yeah and the game ends up kind of encouraging that because if you um not only is that successful but the way a lot of enemies will play against you is they will start sort of feeding troops into the gaps you've left behind and so increasingly you begin just as you react to that and send more reinforcements up to the, the main battle line, you end up with these huge fronts, basically, uh, that are sort of creeping forward. Uh, just as, you know, dealing with one little thrust from an enemy requires plugging a hole, and you never open that hole up again. You just now have a new sector of the front, and everything starts sort of moving forward in lockstep. Uh, at the same time, 
There are moments that gets, there are moments I really do like that dynamic. Like when, that sounds boring as hell, but (laughs) the thing is there are places where it starts to get really challenging because there are places where you're going to run into sort of a no man's land between yourself and a bunch of different factions. And suddenly what was sort of a neat and tidy push across like one front Suddenly you have to cover three different angles of attack across different terrain and pushing across the dead ground seems impossible. And suddenly you end up with uh, kind of a really harrowing attritional battle. But again, kind of the problem with that is you're going to win in the end because you're a human player and you're smart. And the AI is not going to ever launch kind of the concerted effort it's that's going to require to break your line. It's never going to figure out how to unravel your position. And so eventually, you know, after you sort of uh, sit back a little bit, you'll get reinforcements. You'll be able to start moving forward again. The AI just won't be able to keep up with the, the damage you're putting down. But when you have sort of stuck your neck out a little too far, it can get pretty hairy. Like, Fraser, I hate the Necrons. Oh, my God. God, to hell with the Necrons. <laughs> what do you like about the Is it they're all their, like, self-repairing bullshit? Yes. Is that the, the issue? Freaking, <laughs> the, the freaking yeah. monolith. Yeah. Uh, just when they've got multiple monoliths, these giant floating fortresses that just do devastating damage uh, to, like, any and all enemy units near them, they also self-repair. And they are resistant to just about every damage type you have. Like, there is no... I'm not sure there is a neat uh, rock to the... Um, well, I suppose... There, I'm not sure there's a there's there's an actual, like, paper to the monolith's rock. Uh, except just beat the ever-living hell out of it with tons and tons of units. But when they have multiple of those things out on the field... And endless hordes of, like, Necron warriors... The Necro- and you're trying to storm a city. Uh, the Necrons <laughs> are just the worst people. Just the just the nastiest, uh, most awful faction. But they do pose an interesting problem. It's like a tactical Sudoku you need to solve. What's I what I wonder is if when the AI play them, if they are as restricted as we are when we play them, yeah. because that repairability is uh it's got quite a not a massive cost but it's something like is it 30 it's either 30 or 60 influence which i know it's like double so that's quite a large range but it's got a enough that you might have to not like build another unit for a couple of turns if you want to repair your necron so it's an investment um, you might even be like, you know what? I really want to get this much more powerful unit. I, I'm actually just going to swallow this. It's going. I'm going to take the hit and lose this just basic Necron warrior. Um, and I wonder if the AI has to worry about that or what sort of if they're playing by the same rule. Because you always wonder, right? Yeah. Are they? Because they they always cheat. AI has to cheat to be able to deal with humans. Um, that's fair, but you always wonder the extent, the extent of what they're cheating, how, they're, how much they're cheating, and 
I do wonder if they still have that influence cost that we do, if it's the same. Because I've noticed them, they, they sort of repair a bit more frequently than I do, but that might be because I'm extremely stingy because I'm Scottish. Uh, you never know. Yeah, I think... So the way this game works is it's tough to summarize because every faction plays completely differently. So, for instance, if you're talking about, like... Uh, city expansion and such, or, or founding more cities. The Space Marines don't do that. Uh, the Space Marines have one giant headquarters, like Citadel, and then they just have to project all their power from that one base across the map. And so once Space Marine troops are deployed, they're probably never coming back home. They're probably just going to stay on their front until they either win or die. Very Space Marine. Also, movement is so slow. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to go back ever. No, no. Uh, now, once you do get back to the city, eventually the Space Marines can start like uh, landing drop pods uh, across the map. So you can just send reinforcements uh, via express courier to the front lines. And that will uh, sort of cut that part out. But for a while there... Uh, marching Space Marine reinforcements across the map is is pretty tedious. But anyway, the Space Marines don't found multiple cities. Other factions do. Um, but every faction does tend to roughly follow along with balancing, f- like, four resources. Uh, there's, there's a research resource. There is influence, which uh, both sustains a lot of advanced units and hero units and is also used to activate, like... Uh, special powers. Uh, there is some sort of energy equivalent, and there's some sort of uh, like food equivalent. Depends on like the Tyranids like bend some of these rules, and they have different names for it. But broadly, these are the outlines of of the systems we're dealing with, and it's all pretty familiar. Uh, you you sort of look for what a hex generates. And you grab the resources there. There are little special resource hexes where you can establish an outpost and claim uh, the the resources or the bonus off that uh, special resource hex. But by and large, uh, the the name of the game here seems to be building a military engine that you can actually sustain and afford to keep running and reinforcing because eventually the upkeep of your units uh the upkeep of your base's buildings will start to create these bottlenecks and you'll find it increasingly hard as the game goes on to free up the resources to field the good units you need uh you know it's it's not very expensive to field uh, kind of a garbage infantry unit, but late in the game, that garbage infantry unit basically can't function uh, on the battlefield. At least that's my experience with a lot of factions. Uh, their basic tier units do eventually. It takes a while, and you, there's some tricks you can you can play to keep their early game units viable. But eventually, they're just too weak to survive, uh, and so you do need to start fielding advanced units, and that requires kind of saving up, kind of planning ahead. And frequently clearing a little clearing a little space in that upkeep uh, column. I that's I feel more to handle the sort of scripted story missions, which are typically harder than dealing with the regular enemy factions. Because I have I've never felt oh no I have to get rid of my low tier units to 
kill all the Necrons now that we're in the late game, because I'll have already probably killed them. Um, I just, I, I think that, that you have a sort of, they always field their low-tier units, even yes. quite late into the game. So at the very least, you might as well keep yours around to deal with them. But then you do the scripted events where, like, okay, a, a Necron warrior or a regular Space Marine is not going to be able to withstand this weird invasion where you've got, like, shards shooting you and all this other stuff. Then maybe you want to sort of get swap it to something slightly tougher the tyrians have a cool thing where they you can recycle units into their biomass thing generating more biomass yeah. which is yeah. the the fuel for their horrific horde um and that so you're just kind of constantly recycling the tyranids it's very green i quite like it uh so they have an actual that's actually the strategy for them is actually like not wasting it's like these units don't have a purpose anymore or they don't have a purpose right you know in this instance so we're going to recycle them make something more powerful maybe something with wings um yeah it, it works for them quite well but i don't think you have to do that if you're just thinking about defeating your like other players or other factions i think that keeping basic units is fine uh yeah, I mean, you've probably played more than I... The, the place where I ran the problem w was specifically uh, fighting the Necrons. Uh, just, right. like, I needed, like, infantry perished right and... Like, regular infantry perished right and left. The only things that were really surviving against Necrons uh, were Terminators and right. uh, hero units. Uh, you're playing Space Marines, right. Yeah, I see. I demolished the Necrons as the Tyranids, which was interesting because when we first came... When like the horde first approached the Necron city, uh, there is a little pop up that is like, oh, you know, these guys are machines. We don't really eat metal, um, so they recommended we avoid the city. Uh, I went fuck that. Uh, I'm going to destroy. It. And it was actually it wasn't too challenging. I'm I'm not sure if the sort of inherent weakness that the turns have when dealing with the Necrons is uh, a lore thing. Yeah. Uh, like, rather than an actual thing, because I didn't find dealing with them that tricky. Whereas with the uh, Necron game I'm playing at the moment, uh, the first meeting with the Space Marines, the Space Marines actually gave me a bit of an ass-kicking. Yeah. Well, it's... Yeah, so... And this is, I think, where the game begins to get interesting. Is that, and and you're you're very right to say there's elements where this is deeply reminiscent of the tabletop game. Eventually, a big part of this this game turns into a combination of, uh, as I understand it, in the in the in the Warhammer tabletop games. A lot does come down to positioning and formations, making sure that you're. I mean, as is true in a lot of a lot of war games, but uh, the the 40k tabletop game always seems to me, at least uh, what I'm most familiar with, is people like writing AARs about playing the Imperial Guard, which is definitely about maintaining fields of fire and, and sort of mutual support. Uh, but that's kind of where this game goes as well, because. A lot of units are effective against multiple targets, but they're really effective in one particular case. Like, Terminators are decent and tanky ranged units, 
but they are devastating at a point in a point blank melee charge. And so kind of the name of the game is, can I get Terminators up to the front line to launch that attack? Or are they going to eat so much reaction fire? Because there's Overwatch in this game. Are they going to eat so much reaction fire uh, that they're going to be badly depleted uh, by the time they arrive at their target? And so eventually you end up in these places where you're playing that Panzer General uh, sort of dance of units thing uh, in this, you know, one, one unit per hex. Uh, sort of arrangement and there are places where things begin to get so constrained or the line of sight is so tricky that it just uh, really becomes tough to get the kind of ideal formations and damage you need out on the battlefield and that's definitely something I ran into uh, as the Space Marines against the Necrons a couple places where in an open field battle, it was easy enough, but like cracking a Necron city while fighting their army uh, was really, really tough. And there was, there was a really brutal, like, I probably spent three hours last night trying to take down a city uh, because it was, <laughs> I ended up having to fight between two Necron cities. My, it turned out my attack, my, my chosen attack vector was right between like two major cities. Oh, no. And so the city I was going for, I'm starting to advance in on it. And then there's just this endless stream of like heavy Necron troops coming in from behind. And so I kind of ended up having to reinforce so heavily that <laughs> I ended up getting cut in half. And so my, <laughs> my line turned into uh, Army Group South and Army Group North. And now I was trying to squeeze both Necron cities from above and below, and their troops caught in the middle with like half as many troops as I need. You know, it was it was a mess, dude. Uh, it was really satisfying, but a big part of that where, where this got challenging was, uh, you know, if you needed to get the Terminators in the face of a you know monolith floating fortress, that meant leaving a gap in the lines where Necron warriors, which are kind of a garbage tier infantry unit could run in and just put down a lot of fire on my healers. Your your Space Marine healers, the Apothecaries, aren't very strong troops. They You need to keep them safe. Uh, and the Necron Warriors are very good at killing infantry. And, and you can have them too deep as well because they've got rapid fire. So they both, on both hexes, they can shoot. Yeah. So it, it gets... I think where this game really starts to shine is when you start having these really these really meaty uh very war gamey type scenarios opening up kind of dynamically in the game where suddenly there's the objective you were pursuing but the battle is actually taking a different shape than you expected and you have to react to that and it very much becomes about you know using every hex to its maximum advantage you know, think like trying to get your formation just right so that you're going to be able to heal effectively and put down, uh, you know, anti-armor fire from anti-armor units. Uh, make sure everyone is like picking the appropriate targets. That gets that's where this game is best. But, but I would say it also doesn't reliably serve that up. You you mentioned uh, Panzer General and. Uh, and war games before, and we haven't really talked about that, but this is a little bit more 
uh, wargamey than say the tabletop game. Uh, it's got it doesn't have supply, um, but it does have a sort of a wargamey morale system. Uh, it it feels a little bit like some of the other uh, war tabletop adaptations that we've had before. I think was it um, Armageddon, which was a sort of Panzer General sort of spin-off. Oh, I don't remember Arm- Armageddon. Was it it was Armageddon, yeah, because it was basically I think you were playing the Blood Angels or oh, yeah, one yeah, of yeah, the yeah. other I think it was the Blood Angels or one of them, one of the red ones. Um against the orcs. Uh and it was like a proper hexy war game. Like it was not remotely 4X. It was all about your troops. Um and I do get some of that from Gladius as well. Um, it's not just tactical. It's specifically like drawing from uh, the war game, war game style uh, of tactics rather than, say, the tabletop game. Yeah, and where I think it differs from a lot of typical war games, though, is there are so many... <laughs> So from from the Warhammer uh, tabletop lineage, it's borrowing the fact that there's all these specific types of weapon and damage types, right? So it like it is very important that you know whether or not you're shooting a Laz weapon or a Melta <laughs> weapon. These are important distinctions because they will affect how well you attack a certain type of unit. If that stuff doesn't like immediately mean something to you there's a lot of sort of groping forward in the dark you're going to do with this game because it kind of just presumes this familiarity with yeah you, we all know what we all know what las cannons do right we all we all get that we, we know what bolters are and we do but a big part of this game is making the most of what weapon type is effective against what what armor type um doing the right kind of damage to the right kind of unit but then on top of that most units also have some sort of special quality. And so it's not just that, uh, for instance, um, you know, Devastator Space Marines are just a heavy weapons squad, but there's also powers you can put on, like, that have cooldowns, but there are moments you can, like, press a button and spend some of your influence, which is kind of a global. Uh, a global resource that you spend on special powers. You can burn influence to provide a temporary buff to your devastator troops and that can be really important for getting out a well-timed uh, volley your hero units do warhammer hero type stuff a space marine captain can charge into the enemy and swing a mighty sword and land a mighty blow and that's all stuff that can happen in this game as well like you know if you got influence to burn eventually you sort of hit a point where these these fights don't just play out like war game battles where it's a thing about positioning and who has what field of fire. It also becomes a little bit um, RTS is one way to to put it, but there's almost an element of like MMO like raid like raid strategy in some ways. I'm just like <laughs> really? like. Like po- like popping the powers at the right time, right? Like yeah, this okay. Is, this yeah. is the time to burn that. Like this is if this unit escapes and retreats and heals up, uh, we're gonna have to fight it again in five minutes, and everything's gonna be on cooldown. It's gonna be annoying. And I so guess, yeah, it's kind of it's RPG ish, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. And, and and so the coordinating that definitely becomes a big part of the game too is considering what special thing can all those units on the line do and is this the moment to use it? Um and the answer is usually yes. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the um instead of having abilities, some of them also have like uh the, well each of them have kind of traits that define the faction and and one of the the ones that I didn't really gel with was the Tyranids um synapse thing. This is basically the Tyranids are like dumbass monsters. Um they're like they seem smart because they consume whole worlds. Ah, these guys must have something up in their skulls. But they're really stupid. They're just kind of ferocious monsters. However, they've they're linked up to these much smarter Tyranids, in this case they're the hero units, or certain hero units, um, that command them. So if you want to put together a large Tyranid army, you have to really have at least one, but probably more, hero units in the center of these blobs, basically. So in the middle hex, you've got the hero who has these cool powers and abilities and psychic stuff and then around them the dumb monsters and if you remove that hero uh, or the rest of the bob gets just too far away from it and it's not that far it's like a few hexes uh, then it's they each individual turn starts to deteriorate in some way the 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 flavor is that they're Going, they're kind of becoming this feral monster again. They're going back to their like natural instincts, but in gameplay terms, it means stupid things like this flying thing that you need to get like six hexes now can only travel three hexes, or this warrior is just gonna lose health for some reason. Like, why is it dying? Um, why is being re- reverting to its natural state causing it to die? Surely... Fraser, we've like... seen what you do on vacation. I don't think this is a big <laughs> mystery. I think if anything, you should identify strongly with this. <laughs> Fair play. Fair play. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of... It makes it fiddly because it's... With the Tyranids, it becomes all about making sure that your units are close enough to a hero. And I don't mind the idea that being further away causes them to revert to this primal state. Maybe they'll lose control or go into a berserker rage or something changes. But for it to be an like yeah. such a clear cut, this is a bad thing, this is shit, you don't want it to happen. There's no kind of cool moment there. It's just like, oh, now my unit is garbage. I have to move it closer to the hero. Um, and... The one thing it does that kind of feels right is that it does force you to think of the Tyranids as this big collective swarm. Uh, So you're just creating these big blobs and moving them, and at their heart is this kind of, it's like the queen. Um, And that's kind of cool, and that feels authentic, I think, which is, yeah, it's neat, but it's a a pain in the arse to play. It's, uh, yeah, I, I cannot agree strongly enough with the objection to how the reversion to natural instinct feels in this game because yeah it's just a massive attrition damage like sending a a tyranid unit anywhere outside it's sort of 
you know, antennae range of the swarm, immediately, like, you'll, you'll watch term, uh, termigants just fall over and die. And that unit becomes useless. And when I read the description of how this would work, oh, you know, units revert to their natural state, I kind of thought, okay, so are they just going to kind of go rogue, like when a unit gets, like, mind hijacked by these uh, enslavers that wander this planet? Uh, That's these... exactly how it sounds, right? Yeah. I, I, it, it seemed so natural that would be the, the punishment to moving them further away. Suddenly you kind of lost control of them. You have to maybe go and send a hero unit in to recapture them, which is an actual mission that happens. You do it in a mission. So it's like, yeah. why is that not the mechanic? But where I think it does pay off is, again, it creates this formational challenge uh, for the Tyranids that is different from the way, like, for okay, so Space Marines end up being about, like, long, like, long lines of troops. To a degree, so do uh, the Imperial Guard. I <laughs> Starry Militar, Astra Militarum. Ast- yeah, Astra Militarum. Oh, God, God, <laughs> just... The Imperial Guard. Anyway, uh, they tend to they tend to follow uh, roughly the, the the same pattern. Um, the Tyranids, you end up you need to think about these units in this kind of swarming mode where there's going to be like hero units at the center of kind of a cloud of regular units, and you end up having formations and movement it just looks different like the tyranids on the move the tyranids on the attack look and feel and play differently than the other factions and that is a cool thing i think it's a it's a nice thing that this mechanic has introduced but the penalty for it's not even that i object to the existence of the penalty it's that the penalty is so underwhelming the the thought that okay i need to rush these reinforcements from my uh you know tyranid spawning pool all the way out to where this army is fighting oh had to march them had to leave them outside uh synaptic range for a turn and so a bunch of these badass monstrous units like lay down and died and that doesn't feel as cool as something like as you said, Fraser, like, oh, they've gone berserk out there. Oh, no, they're, like, feeding on, you know, each other or they're attacking friendly units. That would be kind of a cool thing where there's a way you could kind of, like, uh, lasso them back into into order. But instead it turns into, yeah, just hustle them back to a city or back into synaptic, synaptic range as quickly as possible. Um, and I think it also hurts the element of one of the other aspects of tyranid lore is that once the tyranids are on world they're kind of everywhere right like 40k plays very fast and loose as to what a tyranid invasion sometimes looks like in some in some chunks of the lore it's even described as they basically start like mind hijacking sentient people like your planetary governor might be under tyranid influence and well yeah they, it might be like gene stealers and uh sorry the yeah the cult um could have in- infiltrated like imperial worlds because there's the whole. There's uh, the cult. That's uh, right. Yeah, there's the whole. That's like one of the uh, factions in Eighth Edition is the Gene Stealer cult, um, which is kind of cool because you can actually like hit bash like little imperial guard units and stuff, uh, and add like tentacles and shit to them, which is pretty dope. Uh, but yeah, they 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 
have this like weird psychic thing, which is totally like uh, another alien xenomorph trait. Is yeah, well. <laughs> it's so aliens. But um, the way they play it out, that like. So what what all that lore implies is oh yeah the Tyranids could be everywhere the Tyranids are in every you know unscouted forest they maybe they maybe already walk among us and in this it's no the Tyranids actually can't go anywhere the Tyranids basically have an invisible fence that they have to like strictly observe <laughs> or they begin to die and so like t- scouting with the Tyranids becomes really tough because you had like you can't just send crap units out to fan out and like see what they can see uh they start to wither and die just way too fast and will get gobbled up by whatever monsters are wandering wandering the land uh i think that is an underwhelming aspect of the tyranids i think overall though i don't know i i think they're a cool faction because they're just they're just so different i like i think it's interesting that we now live in this time where we could be like excited about a new faction come together and meet like the, and the addition of a new faction is like a meaningful thing. When I look at Civs reveals for new factions um, or new Civs rather, um, I I kind of feel like underwhelmed compared to some of the stuff the less balanced, less symmetrical 4X games are doing. Like I really like some of the stuff that's coming to Gathering Storm. Like, I really dig some of the new faction and leader traits and unique units. They look really cool. But they are still, like, a sieve is a sieve, right? They all ultimately work in kind of the same way. Yeah. Whereas you've got something like Endless Space, Endless Legend, Gladius. Oh, like, oh, also, I mean, any Warhammer game, really, like, because Total War Warhammer does it as well. The factions are so distinct. They, even if they have some, like, comparable, like, power, they're, the way that's expressed through the mechanics could be dramatically different. Uh, and so it adds, yeah, a DLC faction is essentially, like, an expansion. Yeah. You know, it's not just, here's another faction for you to play. It's a very different way to play the game. Yeah, that's a really good point. Especially because, like, this game is so focused on the clash of factions, clash of armies, that you don't need to think about, how am I going to spec out the Tyranids for a science victory? You don't have to worry about that game. (laughs) Could you imagine? <laughs> the culture victory for the Tyranids. Well, that would make sense, though, right? Like, oh, the Tyranids, the Tyranids win again. Their culture is just uh, everyone's everyone's part of a swarm now. Uh, that's. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that that is kind of an advantage. Like you're playing this game, it feels like a different game. I think they also do something clever here. Every campaign kind of has a plot in this game. The overarching conceit of this game is that. Uh, Gladius Prime is <laughs> so it's the most important Warhammer world you've never heard of is kind of the gist of it. It's like at once, oh, it's a major imperial bastion. It's a it's a it's one of the jewels of the Imperium. Also, though, it's an easily isolated frontier world where a lot of like you know secret shit was happening and nobody noticed and oh by the way just as things began to go a little haywire on gladius prime a warp storm blew in 
and blasted the planet with chaos energies and cut off access to uh, the rest of the Imperium. And so you kind of have the self-contained, uh, you have the self-contained battle royale between different Warhammer factions, but nobody can get reinforcements from off-world. Like everyone, like whatever's on the world is going to be fought out with what with what they had available, and nobody trusts each other. There's no nobody can ally with each other because I don't know the taint of chaos means you can't really trust uh, anyone's motives. Either way. The planet is at once still has enough settlement to have like several viable factions on it, but at the same time, now there's tons of ruins because hey, warp storm really wrecked the planet. Now it's a untamed hellhole. And every at the start of every campaign, you are given this different fa- like depending on which faction you play, you begin to play slightly different stories, but like endless legend in that regard where there are certain narrative beats that are unique to your faction uh, that you're going to hit. I think a clever thing with the Tyranids, there's no Tyranid point of view in the story, really. Tyranids aren't going to have like a really exciting story to tell. Uh, Cause again, their, their mind is just a terrifying uh, void of appetite. But the, the cool thing here, and here we should disclose that, uh, uh, old a sometimes 3MA panelist uh, on on Warhammer themed shows, uh, and a colleague of ours, uh, Dan uh, Galapulas, uh, is a writer on Gladius, and I believe he wrote a fair bit of the quest uh, text and flavor text for the Tyranid DLC, and they're doing kind of a cool thing here where the Tyranid. The Tyranid campaign story is basically the after report of the Imperial scientists who screwed up so badly they lost a planet to the Tyranids. <laughs> uh, you want to you unpack the, the way the campaigns work, particularly this one works, Fraser? Yeah, so like the actual mission objectives are kind of par for the course sort of yeah. thing. It's like research a thing, build a thing, kill a thing. You don't give a shit. But the actual like... Uh, flavor behind it is really really cool because it starts with these observations about the tyranids and they're not really they're like freaked out they're there but they're not that worried at first and bit by bit it's like oh shit now they're getting smarter and now they're taking over all the colonies and it's kind of builds up until the you know the tyranids have consumed everything but then you've also got the just the flavor text that you get for researching a new building or something like that i actually posted one of them on twitter which was this uh i I think it was some sort of hatchery or some sort of sack thing and it was just the description rarely do i feel like nauseous after like playing a 4x game or reading some flavor text but this was just grim and i'm like i don't really know if i want to play these guys anymore they're really disgusting uh i like i think it's become a little bit uh, more viable to have a proper good writer on your like 4x game. Uh, I think people are more interested in 4x proper 4x storylines rather than just random clashes where you're purely creating your own narrative. Um, yeah, I, I I think Gladius could really do a bit more. I feel like the actual integration of the story with the mechanics could be better. And the actual uh, 
scripted missions, uh, they're a little bit trickier yeah. than just regular confrontations and like building up to like an ultimate conflict, which is like actually really challenging. Um, but I didn't feel that engaged by what it was telling me to do. It's stuff yeah. we've seen a lot of times before, and it's kind of can be annoying as well because it sometimes doesn't feel like it's prepared you for what's happening. Like you might think that you're meant to just march your army across the map clearing everything and then like halfway through the game you've got like your capital city is about to be invaded but all your army you've just been told to march it across the map like (laughs) you haven't got anyone to defend it against this huge army coming up from an area that you'd otherwise cleared see i think Um, that kind of that structure though i think masks what is one of the game's weaknesses right and that like I wonder how it would be playing these campaigns again for like a second time because you'll know that you'll know that turn is coming, right? You'll know that twist mm. is coming. But it does this this happened for me in my Space Marine game right as things were probably getting a little bit too rote as far as my march across the map. Uh, I was just sort of extinguishing one faction after another and then we got to the part of the story where, oh no, this is a Necron tomb world. And uh, yeah, so fun fact, Necron, Necrons are like one of the oldest races in the galaxy. Uh, they're a powerful machine race. And they're not, they're, they're, they're not really gone. They're just more like asleep. Uh, For 50 million years. It's so stupid, the numbers this game comes up with. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Yes, they've been sleeping beneath the surface of tons of planets uh, for millions and millions of years, uh, just waiting to be awakened. And once they wake up, uh, they... Every every threat in Warhammer is the one that's going to end the end the galaxy, right? Uh, if the Tyranid Swarm ever decides to invade with everything it's got, there's nothing that will stand in its way. They'll just consume everything. If the Necrons ever all wake up, once again, everyone is screwed. Uh, but they wake up in stages. Uh, it's a bit of a warm up stage. Uh, they have Super to go convenient. Through. Yeah, and so like one of the twists here is, I was rolling across the map like fighting other factions fighting like player necron factions and then from one of these uh like art like ruins one of these sort of archaeological sites you find uh like a single squad of necron warriors popped out and just started wandering around behind my lines taking out outposts it was a nuisance but i was like it's one squad. Like I'll send some guys out to deal with it in a minute. But in the meantime, I have to fight two groups of space Marines and a uh, two cities worth of Necrons. My hands are full. And so I ignored that and I ignored it some more. And then suddenly there were like eight or nine, like Necron squads just hitting my city all at once. And I had nothing there. Uh, and it became a really hairy, you know, we need to crash build some defenses and some troops and just see if we can keep these guys at bay. Uh, because now I've lost the entire countryside. And it was it was cool. Like, it was a moment that I was caught completely unawares. Uh, it changed the dynamic of the game. Suddenly my army in the field was completely on its own. There were no more reinforcements coming because I needed everything I possibly could just to hold this 
endless Necron horde at bay. Uh, they were respawning faster than I could kill them. That was a cool beat. I'm not going to fall for it again. Like, now I know, like, <laughs> okay, those, those special hexes that are marked, you know what's going to happen there later in the campaign. Um, but I, don't, I worry less about replayability at this point. Like, if I have a good run through these campaigns... That's pretty great, right? Like, like one in one game where you have like, you know, multiple like pretty enjoyable uh, multi-hour like sessions. That's that's not bad. Like, it, one really one solid campaign is is better than a lot of reliably mediocre ones. And it, like, actually, the thing that I I kind of feel people are are not gonna gel with quite as much is that. The story gives you some sort of expectations, right? And then the actual, like, payoff is never quite as cool. Um, like, you've got the, the the Necrons rising again. It was, what, like, a few troops appearing and crushing you. If you can prepare for that, if you've yeah. already got some people... But if you've got a strategy that involves tarling a little bit, or at least defending your city, which probably should. We were pretty reckless, leaving like nobody defending our base. Um, then it becomes a little bit underwhelming, and that doesn't become this kind of memorable high point. Yeah, and like I think it, it does bear mentioning that in a lot of ways these campaigns can feel a little bit like a one-shot. Um but you're still you're still talking about just the ten, the the price points that uh, Slytherin tends to tends to use. Uh, Gladius is not Gladius isn't a cheap game. It's not a super expensive game. It's you know mid it's mid market. Uh, but at the same time, I think a lot of people will look at the kind of endless playability that a lot of four X games promise, even if it's a lot of uh, shallow valleys and low peaks. Uh, it still feels like you're getting a lot there. That there's there's something really expansive and, and endless here. Gladius. It doesn't take too long before you really start finding the boundaries of it. What what it is and what it very much is not. Uh, the the ways that it, it's going to play a little trick on you. But once that trick's been played, you've seen it. The way the game works in itself outside of those narrative twists is probably rarely going to truly surprise you. Um, and so I could see that being an issue for, for, for some folks. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, I got, I got code for this game. Uh, and so it's very easy for me to sit here and say, oh, game's kind of a lot of fun. You should, you should give it a shot. I wouldn't surprise you. I wouldn't be surprised if someone looks at the price point for for Gladius uh, for Tyranids, and kind of balks. Right? Is this is this going to be worth it? Uh, since it's comparable at this point to a total war game, right? You 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 catch a total war game on sale, um, and so I think it's I, I I think Gladius is a game that. I worry people will struggle to give it a chance. I certainly did. Last year, I took one look and I was like, no, I, I'm tired of 4X games right now. I'm not super into 40K right now. I just, I cannot handle handle this. Uh, your Tyranids review, Fraser, got me to actually come back and give this thing a shot. And I've been surprised how much I've, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also nearing the point where 
I've probably seen enough, and I'm not sure I need to see all the other campaigns. I uh, I hope Proxy Studios kind of makes more like weird 4X games, though, yeah. Because like I do think that the the coolest thing in this, and I was not. I was not that into it at first, the idea of having no diplomacy. Not because I think diplomacy is ever good in a 4X game, because it's categorically not true. Um, <laughs> but it's because it is still, like, actually kind of important. It's how do you... If there's only one way to interact with another faction, and that's shooting it, that's just kind of... It seemed to me to be a little bit dull, because 4X games are so much broader. But... If you just accept this is a 4X game about war, then it kind of makes more sense. And it is Warhammer. Uh, and it just cuts out a lot of fluff. I mentioned before it takes like a million years to get across the map. Because it's not actually like a fast-paced game. But it's still got a nice pace. It's got a solid pace. It's not like... Uh, it, it feels consistent because you don't have these things where you have these sort of peacetime lulls where you're like, right, yes. now I'm at peace. I'm going to build up and yes. shit like that. You're always going to have something to fight, be it um, the scripted kind of story enemies, other factions, or just PvE stuff because there are environmental hazards and random monsters around. There's always something to shoot and fight, and that's really cool. Yeah, that that's actually a really good point too. There's so many for, like uh 4X games where for instance, you can have a really good war in Civ. There's there's times Civ turns oh, especially yeah. like Civ 5, Civ 6, it turns into a pretty good like tactics game. But there's often frequently an incentive just to sit back and build up. Like, hey, don't fight this war when it's going to be a close run thing and you're on equal footing. Like, why don't you just sit back and keep building up your cities, and you'll fight when you're ready. And the next thing you know, you've had a really like boring long session of just teching up, building units, and you still haven't moved any closer to anything really happening. And suddenly you're thinking, man, maybe I'll just go for science victory. That's not going to happen here. You're going to build something. You're going to go. You you're going to take it right out on the field and go kill something with it. So I I kind of feel like next time someone's like, hey guys, I got an idea, no diplomacy in forex, I'm gonna be all for that. Uh, I, but I would also still like someone to maybe just make yeah. a forex game that has good diplomacy. <laughs> yeah, like I think this made me more interested in seeing what proxy does uh, next. Like, what, like if there's a future Gladius, right? Like I don't know, is there is there a version of this where there's multiple ways a campaign can go? Uh, are there, is there a version of this where you'd have limited diplomacy between factions that can loosely align, like Space Marines and Imperial Guard? Um, but also, I think Proxy, you know, Proxy starts out by making Pandora. Uh, Pandora was really inspired by Alpha Centauri in in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I think still is probably a more interesting game than Civ Beyond Earth. I, I think, but, it, but what isn't <laughs> right? It's very, it's very, very true. Uh, oh, poor Civ Beyond Earth, um, <laughs> a coward's death. Anyway, yeah, I, I think I, I am. I enjoy what's here. Uh, it also surprised me in ways that I found really enjoyable, and. I am really curious to see if we're going to get uh, something else in this vein from Proxy or if Proxy is going to return to a slightly more traditional uh, Forex structure, but with some unique spins on it. 
Uh, in either case, I'll be happy. I expect a bit more DLC before then, though. I feel like they've they put the Tyranids out. I wouldn't be surprised to see more factions making orcs. an appearance. Yeah, um, don't they? Yeah, they've got orcs already. Yeah. Um, chaos would be nice. Happy with a bit of chaos, but yeah. So I, ex- I expect that we'll see more DLC before we see more games. Yeah, for, uh, forget. Yeah, chaos. I suppose. Like I sort of was thinking it, we, when the Space Marines are fighting each other, there's sort of an implicit ah, uh, those guys must be must be an enemy chaos legion or something. That was in my head, uh, but of course they're very different from the actual chaos uh, Marines with the. Again, Marines with tentacles, noise, <laughs> uh, the, the noise Marines, uh, stuff like that. Let's let, let's bring those out. Uh, that would be cool. But yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting game, and I think it's worth a look. Uh, certainly, and I think the Tyranids are a promising roadmap for what the DLC could look like. All right, uh, I think that will do it for our discussion of. Uh, Warhammer 40k, uh, Gladius Relics of War. Uh, Tyranids. <laughs> colon Tyranids. Uh, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is host on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Fraser, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>